saya berani mengatakan ya bahwa Indonesia sesungguhnya negara Islam. Some even say that Indonesia is already an Islamic country. If not for the useless president, the members of parliament, and everyone that's in the government, it would be. We shouldn't have direct elections like we have right now. Based on Pancasila, those who are trusted as being the representatives of the people should be the ones that choose the president, not by direct votes. Ones who have the wisdom of the Quran should be our representation. This is Indonesia in depth. I'm Sean Corrigan. On this episode, we focus on the latest developments involving the controversial hardline Islamic Association known as the 212 Alumni. This group was instrumental in the campaign against the former Jakarta governor Basuki Purnama, or Ahok, in 2016 and 2017. The 212 alumni is making headlines once again as they hope to play another role in a new coalition to challenge President Widodo's re-election in 2019. I met with Egi Sujana, the spokesperson from the 212 alumni. Egi is a law advocate by background and has a history of activist efforts. In addition to being spokesperson, he is also the head of the 212 Alumni's advisory board. In addition to this, he has served as a lawyer for the controversial Islamic firebrand cleric Habib Rizik. Egi is also running as a legislative candidate in next year's election, representing the Pan Party. The 212 Alumni represents an informal association of numerous hardline Islamic groups that played a key role in organizing mass demonstrations against the former governor of Jakarta. Ahok. These demonstrations and their social media content played an important role in shifting public sentiment that resulted in Ahok losing the election by double digits to his rival and 212 supported candidate Anis Baswedan. Groups such as the Islamic Defenders Front, which is FPI, also Hizbut Tahrir Indonesia or HTI, and the National Movement to Safeguard the Indonesian Ulama Council's Fatwa or GNPF MUI, among other groups, were key players in the 212 alumni. And are advocating for Sharia law in Indonesia. The profile of the 212 alumni grew stronger as it was instrumental in the downfall of Ahok and was indirectly affiliated with the Gerindra and PKS political parties. After its success with the anti-Ahok movement in 2017, the 212 alumni have been making an effort to become a permanent player in Indonesian politics. Habib Rizik, the leader of the Islamic Defenders Front or FPI, is the most vocal and widely known member of the 212 alumni. And has become the face of the association. Egi and I discussed a variety of topics, such as the controversial cleric Rizik Habib, the use of identity politics, the 212 alumni's view of Widodo, and how the 212 alumni intends to play a role in the upcoming presidential elections in 2019. We began the meeting by discussing the FPI leader Habib Rizik. FPI is a far-right Sunni Islamist political organization formed in 1998. Many observers say the group conducts hate crimes in the name of Islam. And promotes religious-related violence, while others say it has been used as a mob for hire over the past 20 years. Cleric Rizik has been in Saudi Arabia for over one and a half years now, while an arrest warrant had been issued by the Indonesian authorities for his involvement in a pornographic video which violated the pornography law and the electronic transmission law. 
The charges were ultimately dropped in June 2018, just shortly after my meeting with the 212 alumni. Eggy recently visited Rizik in Saudi Arabia and said that he is well cared for there. Rizik often appears in videos well-dressed, has fine living quarters, and seems always to have high spirits. Eggy previously stated publicly that the Saudi government has provided assistance to Rizik during his exile. When I asked for more information, Eggy said, quote, I don't know if the Saudi government is assisting cleric Habib Rizik. What I know is that he has many friends and supporters. He has many visitors from Indonesia that come to Saudi Arabia and often make donations, unquote. I asked Eggy, what were the main takeaways from his discussions with Rizik during his last visit? The last time I met Habib Rizik was a few weeks ago. There are many things that we talked about. First, we talked about the solidarity of the Ummah, or the collective Islamic community, making sure the Ummah doesn't get split because of political interests. Secondly, we discussed about who we will support in the presidential and vice-presidential election next year. But we're still waiting to hear more from Prabo and Amin Rais and others. They have also made the trip recently to Makkah to meet with Habib Rizik. In July, there will be an Istima Ulama, or Religious Cleric Convention. Istima is a big convention that is used when we have to make a big, important decision. In this case, the convention will determine who the clerics will endorse as the presidential and vice-presidential candidates. It will be attended by thousands of ulamas. This is a specific instruction by Habib Rizik, he said. Habib Rizik has been in exile for one and a half years now and has threatened to return to Indonesia to fight the charges against him. FPI sympathizers said they would mobilize thousands of members to greet him at the Jakarta airport and this resulted in safety and security concerns among law enforcement about maintaining the airport's normal operation. Rizik has yet to return home to Indonesia. I asked Egi if and when Habib Rizik would come back to Indonesia. Rizik akan kembali ke, ke Indonesia? Dia bilang kepada saya akan kembali. He told me he would return to Indonesia, but the only person that will announce the time is himself. A couple of months ago, he was planning to return to Jakarta. I was the head of the welcoming committee. He was already at the airport in Saudi Arabia, but then he got an answer from his prayers that it wasn't the right time to return to Jakarta. He got the sense that he would be arrested upon arrival and worried that his followers would rebel towards the authorities. I explained to Eggy that Ahok's loyal supporters were upset with the blasphemy charges for Ahok and with the jail sentence that followed, but the demonstrations were peaceful and orderly. I question why FPI or the 212 alumni are unable to do the same. We already did, but there are already some examples of injustice towards some clerics, especially with the case of criminalization of clerics. There's no proof of wrongdoing in either of these cases, so the police let the clerics go. Habib Rizik's followers are very, very upset about this. Remember that Habib Rizik has been in prison twice, so there's nothing to be afraid of. But how can you withhold his followers' rage? There will be chaos that we cannot control for this injustice, Eggy said. On June 17, 2018, the Indonesian authorities announced that it had dropped charges against Rizik citing a lack of evidence in the pornography case. As a result, he will not face any charges if he returns home. 
Since the announcement, Razik and his inner circle have become mysteriously quiet. As a result, he has disappeared from the headlines, causing some to question if there may have been some type of an agreement between Razik and the government. I asked Eggy if there was indeed a deal, but he denied such a claim. In mid-June this year, just before the end of Ramadan, the chairman of the Garindra party, Prabowo Subianto, and the founder of the Pan party, Amin Rice, and senior members of the PKS party all made high-profile visits to meet Habib Rizik while he was in exile to discuss potential cooperation between the parties, FPI, the 212 alumni for the 2019 elections. Garindra, PKS, and Pan have been exploring the idea of forming a coalition to challenge Widodo in his re-election bid. After the meetings with Rizik, Rizik called upon his followers and the groups within the 212 alumni to unite and to use the same tactics from the 2017 Jakarta election to prevent Widodo from being re-elected in 2019. He called for the formation of a congregational coalition. Although it has been over a month since his announcement, the discussions are ongoing and a coalition has yet to be formed. I asked Eggy what is meant by a congregational coalition, and I questioned how such unification across all Muslim communities was possible, and these groups have rarely been united throughout Indonesian history. Eggy said, PAN, Garindra, PPP, and PKS parties will create a coalition. We will not include PKB and Hanura parties, because in Jakar's election, they gave their support to AHA. Afterwards, Habib Rizik made a fatwa, saying that we are forbidden in supporting those parties. If PPP, PAN, PKS, and PKB, and Garindra join together in the coalition, we will meet the 20% parliamentary threshold, which would allow us to nominate a candidate. That is what we meant by a congregational coalition. According to Amin Rais, there's already some talks between Garindra and PKS. PKS already agreed to form a coalition. But the problem is, PKS and PAN both want the vice presidential nomination to come from their party in exchange for their support. Meanwhile, Prabowo hasn't decided who will get the vice presidential seat, so he'll have to wait. Eggy then went on to say, there are those who are against Islam in Indonesia. I asked Eggy what he meant by this and asked him if he felt that President Widodo and his administration are against nah, Islam. Justru dalam pemerintahan Joko Widodo, dia eksplisit dengan kalimat yang dia bicarakan mengenai pisahkan agama dan politik. Eggy responded and said, Jokowi's administration explicitly opposes Islam when he mentions the need to separate religion and politics. In my knowledge, it is a communist teaching. Karl Marx believed that religion is an opiate for the society. Jokowi wants to separate the importance of religion and the state. Religion can't influence the state, and the state can't influence religious practice, he says. It's wrong, and I strongly oppose it. In the 1945 Constitution, Article 29, Paragraph 1, it's written that the base of the Indonesian Republic is the belief in the one and only God. If the base of the state is the belief in the one and only God, then God is Allah. It is written in the introduction that it is by Allah's mercy that Indonesia declares its independence. With that said, as a nation, Allah has to be the benchmark. Therefore, the leaders of this nation must impose Islamic law. Imagine if the president has a strong belief in Islam and piety towards Allah, and the House representatives did as well. What kind of law would be born? It would be Islamic law, Eggy explained. 
Presiden Jokowi keliru dan mesti mau dinasehati kalau dia itu mendengar aspirasi ini. Uh-huh. Kalau kalian ini betul-betul ingin menjalankan hukum Al-Quran, syaratnya adalah jangan kalian jadikan orang Yahudi dan Nasrani sebagai pemimpin kalian. If you want to live your life based on Islamic law, the requirement is that you can never allow a Jew or a Christian as your leader. That was Habib Rizik at a street demonstration in Jakarta in 2016. The 2017 Jakarta gubernatorial campaign and election saw the use of identity politics to defeat Governor Ahok in his re-election bid. Ahok is of Chinese-Indonesian descent and a Christian, both minorities in the country. I asked Egi about the use of identity politics in Indonesia And if he believes the use of identity politics is going down a dangerous road for Indonesia. Kalau misalnya itu digunakan? Tidak. Begini, Jakarta spesifik karena calonnya Basuki. He responded by saying, There's no opposition towards non-Muslims, especially in a Muslim-majority country such as Indonesia. Give me proof if there's been a minority group that has been oppressed by Islam. Islam is a blessing and mercy for the whole world that brings goodness for all. Ahok is a non-Muslim, while the majority in Jakarta are Muslim. Non-Muslims make up only 20% of Jakarta population, while Muslims make up 80%. Therefore, Ahok should have received 20% of the vote, but in fact he got 42%. This means that there are 22% of the Muslims that voted for him. If you say that our approach has been the use of identity politics, it's clearly ineffective then. So our main approach is to focus on justice, integrity, and the truth. Those are the strongest universal values, he said. Tentang kejujuran dan That was Habib Rizik leading a street demonstration, saying, Let's stay united and destroy the stubborn one. Do you agree that Ahok must be killed? The crowd responds, yes. Earlier this year, Habib Rizik sent a message to the 212 alumni senior members, urging them to stay strongly united and advised them to use, quote, copy and paste, unquote, methods in the 2017 Jakarta election for next year's presidential election. Eggy was asked if the 212 alumni intends to, in fact, use a copy-and-paste method for the next year's elections. He made some contradictory statements. Earlier, he said that the 212 alumni did not use identity politics, and then he said that the group did use identity politics, but it was ineffective. Nah, apalagi nanti kalau Pilpres, nggak ada calon yang non-Muslim. Bagaimana kita mau mengcreate identitas? We know for sure that there won't be a Muslim candidate in the presidential election. So there's no need to use identity politics. We will talk about justice instead. We want the court to be fair with the Ahok sentence. So don't ask us about identity politics, because we actually lost. Especially when Ahok was backed up by unlimited financial support, backed by the president, the police, and everyone else supported him. Identity politics was a campaign tool. In the presidential election, we will not face a kafir or disbeliever, but a fellow Muslim. Jokowi and Prabowo are both Muslims. We can no longer campaign based on identity politics. There will be a different strategy for 2019. Ahok still got a large vote among Muslims. Therefore, we are now focusing on new aspects and new methods to use. Tapi tentu beda strategi. Karena strateginya adalah kita nggak menghadapi lagi orang kafir. Maaf ya, supaya jelas. 
I asked Eggy if there was any situation where the 212 alumni would support President Widodo in 2019. Melalui Anda nanti diperdengarkan ke Jokowi kalau bisa itu bahwa kalau dia mau dukungan dari umat Islam setidaknya dari kita-kita yang PA212 maka segera nyatakan taubat konstitusi. I was told that the president would have to first ask for repentance before the 212 alumni would ever consider giving support to Widodo. If Jokowi wants to get our support, he has to perform constitutional repentance. He has to confess to all his sins. One of his sins is that he believes that the state should have separation between religion and politics. This is wrong. He would also have to confess why he has handed over our mineral resources to America via Freeport. Freeport Makmoran is an American mining company that has been mining gold and copper in Indonesia since the 1960s and is the country's largest taxpayer. The groups that make up 212 alumni are supporters of Sharia law and believe that it is the government and lawmakers that are the ones from preventing Sharia law from being implemented. Some believe that the constitution was hijacked in 1945 during the Declaration of Independence and that the majority of the revolutionary Islamic leaders at the time supported the establishment of the Islamic State of Indonesia. To rangkaian berpikir yang baik dari imam ini mengenai hukum Islam. There's a great message from Habib Rizik on his chain of thought. He says that Sharia law has already been applied in Indonesia. It's already applied on the individual level, the family level, and in society, is on the state level. We believe that 90% of Islamic principles are already applied in Indonesia. On the individual level, there's no prohibition in performing the prayers, fasting, and other religious rituals. On the family level, there's already a religious court, religious marriage reconciliation, and the inheritance law. When it comes to the economy, Islamic banking system has already been operating. On the state level, Indonesian law also views crimes like stealing deserve punishment. Islamic law also poses the same view. What makes it different is the punishment. In this country, when someone is caught stealing or doing corruption, the punishment is in prison. And in Islam, the person doing such things will have his or her hand cut. Habib Rizik stresses that once we change the system, we can fully be an Islamic country. That's why I'm running for parliament, because the legislative and executive branches are the ones that create law. During the New Order era under President Suharto, Egi was outspoken on the state ideology Panchasila, which is made up of five principles. The belief in one God, just and civilized humanity, Indonesian unity, democracy under the wise guidance of representative consultations, and social justice for all peoples in Indonesia. I asked Egi if he and the 212 alumni leaders believe that Panchasila is the most suitable ideology for Indonesia. He said, Jangan kita dibenturkan dengan Pancasila dan Undang-Undang Dasar 45. Ini, ini mm-hmm. cara berpikir yang bagus secara politik menurut dunia uh, barat juga harus paham ini. Bahwa kita ini When I visited Habib Rizik in Saudi Arabia, he gave me enlightenment on how we shouldn't collide Pancasila and the 1945 Constitution. We believe that all the troubles we are facing are by design, meaning someone is deliberately trying to collide Islam and Pancasila. I am an activist of the Islamic Student Association that was in conflict with the President Suharto regime between 1966 and 1983. Thousands were left dead in the Tanjung Priok incident after rejecting on the single principle of Pancasila. Egi is referring to the violence that occurred on September 24, 1984 in North Jakarta 
Jakarta. Indonesian soldiers fired upon thousands of Muslims protesting the detainment of four individuals in the aftermath of an incident between soldiers and members of a mosque. The cleric leading the demonstrators had given sermons against the state ideology Pancasila the morning of the shootings. In the end, at least 24 people were killed during the violence in Tanjung Priok, according to an investigation by Indonesia's official Human Rights Commission. Families of the victims put the death toll at almost 400. Dan saya salah satu pemimpin HMI-nya waktu itu, tingkat Jakarta. As one of the activist leaders, I took part in the HMI Congress in Medan in order to oppose the government. Back then, the government forced all societal organizations to apply Pancasila as its base, no longer taking consideration on Islamic teaching. I'm not opposing Pancasila, but I'm opposed to how it is forced on us. When you glorified one thing, you instantly negate the other. In my understanding, enforcing Pancasila as the base of your organization, you reject Islam. Based on Egi's explanation on Pancasila and the view that it's being forced upon Indonesians, it seems to me that Pancasila and Islam are on a collision course. I asked Egi his thoughts. Egi rejected my statement and gave conflicting statements, saying, Islam will never collide with Pancasila because both values are corresponding with one another. Moreover, Pancasila is founded by Muslim leaders, and it is composed of faith in one and only God. In fact, it also follows with an obligation to implement Islamic law. Egi went on to say that he believes that because Indonesia should be an Islamic state, there should not be direct elections of leaders, as many voters are incompetent, not intelligent enough, and not educated by the Quran to make such important decisions. Some even say that Indonesia is already an Islamic country. If not for the useless president, the members of parliament, and everyone that's in the government, it would be. We shouldn't have direct elections like we have right now. Based on Pancasila, those who are trusted as being the representatives of the people should be the ones that choose the president, not by direct votes. Ones who have the wisdom of the Quran should be our representation. Today, my vote is equal to a prostitute, or the weak, or the poor, and the less educated, even though their way of thinking is so different than with someone like me who has a PhD. Although the 212 alumni was influential in Jakarta politics in 2016 and 2017, it is not a political party. It does have close relations with the Garindra Party, PKS, and PAN. With successfully carrying out its anti-Ahok campaign during the Jakarta elections, some inside the 212 alumni believe that it is time to establish a 212 party and unite all its sympathizers across the country. Egi, however, believes that such a move would only weaken the group and said, As one of the advisors, I reject this idea. There are already two reasons why I reject the idea of turning the 212 alumni into a political party. For one, we already have numerous Islamic parties. We have PPP, PKS, PBB, PKB are all affiliated with Islamic teaching. There's no need to turn the 212 alumni into a political party. Those who are involved with the movement can simply choose to join one of those parties according to their preference. For example, I chose to join PAN. Our association is a mix of many different elements. If we force it to be a party, I'm afraid we can no longer claim that this is a diverse movement.
Secondly, there's already Islamic organization representation in each of these parties. NU is in PKB, and Mohammedia is in PAN, and so on. History will only repeat itself if we try to form a party. If the 212 became a party, we will only focus on power and no longer thinking about the Islamic community or Ummah. So I think it's best to keep the 212 alumni as it is. Dan berkutatnya kita kepada urusan politik, kursi, jabatan, dan tidak lagi memikirkan amanah umat. On May 13, 2018, a series of terrorist attacks that initially occurred in three churches in the country's second largest city, Surabaya, killed 15 innocent people and wounding scores more. It was an attack the first of its kind in Indonesian history in which children as young as nine years were participating. Several other attacks occurred in other areas of the country. I asked Egi how the 212 alumni view such attacks. He said, Then sudah ada pernyataan dari PA21? Of course we've spoken out against the attacks, but we wouldn't condemn them. We would only criticize them. Habib Rizik told us why. We don't know the motive behind such attacks. The perpetrator may have received a false doctrine. Islam doesn't teach us such things like what happened there. But there are groups that spread false beliefs. If you think about it, the perpetrators are also victims. Secondly, maybe those people are used for another purpose. Terrorism is a big business, you know. Many people have suddenly gotten rich in Indonesia because of terrorism. Maybe the news media can get to the bottom of this, he joked. Islam doesn't teach radicalism. Evidently, ISIS itself was created by Hillary Clinton. It's true. You can watch it on YouTube. The Indonesian counterterrorism group, locally called the Detachment 88 or Densis 88, was created in the aftermath of the 2002 Bali bombings. It has received millions of dollars in aid and training from Western countries, such as Australia and the United States. Densus 88 has drastically increased their capabilities with counterterrorism, but some observers now say the group has used excessive force at times. I asked Egi what his view is on Densus 88. Itu bagian yang kita kritik keras. Kenapa? Misalnya ya. I highly criticize them. Why? You can't shoot someone that you haven't identified yet. There's no due process. So how can you get to the source of the problem? When you shoot someone, they could be a witness or a suspect. You're removing the link. Therefore, terrorism continues to grow. This is terrorism by design. But I don't know who's behind it. Statement saya, terrorism by design. Cuma saya tidak tahu dan tidak punya data siapa yang mendesain. That's all we have for today on this episode. Send your comments to info at indonesiaindepth.com. That's info at indonesiaindepth.com. See you on the next episode. The Indonesia In-Depth podcast is produced by the team at Lexico Indonesia, a political risk advisory located in the heart of Jakarta. You can find Lexico Indonesia at lexicoindonesia.com. I would like to thank you for your coming to my presentation.